Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone, today. This is a very special Sunday here in Christ Fellowship, a very special Sunday. Now, we are coming to the very end today of our monthly sermon series, The Promise of Provision. And we have been talking about how God Almighty is a provider. That's number one. He is a provider. Jehovah Jireh, one of his many titles. We know that, and we claim that, and we say amen. Now, the other thing we've been talking about is what does he provide, how does he provide, and what do we do with what has been provided? And that's an important aspect of it as well, because it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to put it into action. And today is a very special Sunday because we are going to have a panel discussion. As you can see behind me, it is set up for a panel discussion. We have four members of our church community here, our congregation, who are going to share their experiences and their expertise about saving, budgeting, retirement, investing. So I advise all of you, if you got something to write with, if you take out your phone and take notes, you might want to keep up with what's going to be discussed today because it might be some, there's going to be some real gems dropping, I'll tell you that right now. Some real good data, real good advice, information, people, things that people have experienced that they're going to share to you. And you didn't pay for this. It's not like you paid for go to a big conference. They're right here in our church community. So take advantage of it. Listen up. Listen in. And speaking of listening, here's a very, very special part of today is that today's conversation is also doubling up as an episode of our podcast series, CF Stories. We launched the podcast series a few months ago. I have been able to sit down and interview members of our congregation, sharing their experiences, their testimonies, and their professional expertise on different subjects. So, for example, we had Sonia Joseph, certified nutritionist. She has been on a health journey and continues to be on a health journey, and she has shared what she experienced and the knowledge that she's been acquiring for nutrition. We've had artists come and talk about their artistic influences and how they've been inspired and how they've used their inspiration from God to produce their artwork, both on the stage and on canvas. And if you've been listening, this past episode, this past Thursday, was part three of a three-part series on generations. We had a Generation X panel, we had a Millennial panel, and a Gen Z panel. And from what the feedback I've been receiving, it's been very interesting to learn what the experiences and perspectives of each generation has been because one of our big sticking points here in Christ Fellowship is we want to be a multi-generational church. And of course, because I promised a long time ago when I had this idea for the podcast when when it just came to me, and of course, the very first episode was our own Pastor Harold sharing his entire experience of his recording career, his ministry career, very biographical for him as well. So if you haven't listened to the CF Stories podcast, Season one is about to wrap up, a couple more episodes left. Season two will be premiering at some point next year. The recordings will be going on all the time. You just got to release them in different, different uh, seasons. And if you haven't listened to it yet, please do. Please do. Take a listen. Listen up. Listen in and get experience on other people's stories because everyone here has a story. Everyone here has experiences that they can leverage for the benefit of others. So, Whatever you, wherever you get your podcast, or it be Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, it's all there. Or you can just simply go to our website, cfofelizabeth.com slash podcasts. So wherever you get your podcast, it's there. It's called CF Stories, Christ Fellowship Stories. And you today, everyone, are the live studio audience. Let's just make some noise. So you not only are going to be listening in to a live recording, but you're going to actually be a part of the recording, too. So everything that happens is going to be recorded here live, and like I said, it's going to double up as an episode of our CF Stories. Now, first, before we get to the panel, let's just frame today's discussion. Let's just set this up, what we're going to talk about, because the title of the episode and today's discussion is Tomorrow Matters. 
Can we all say that real quick? One, two, three. Tomorrow matters. Yes, tomorrow does matter. It does. It's important. Yes, we live today, but what we do today affects tomorrow. Speaking of which, I will tell you something about myself. I love science fiction. I love science fiction. I'm a sci-fi nut. I love science fiction. Anyone else love science fiction here? The sci-fi fans? And let, me just, and, and let me just say on the record in this recording right now, no, Star Wars ain't science fiction. I said it. 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 It's fantasy, not science fiction. Come see me. I'm just, it, 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 it is what it is, everybody. But I love science fiction. I really do. I, I mean, I'm talking like science fiction that gets into like actual science and you know, uh, uh, the mechanics and things like that. Very interesting, whether you're reading it, whether you're watching it, whether you're listening to it. But there is one very common sci-fi plot trope. And you've seen this in many, many different science fiction developments and productions. Time travel. You've seen movies about time travel. Think about the big franchises. The Terminator, Back to the Future. You've seen these movies. How many people have seen these movies? And these are like... You know, that means they've been around for a long time already, for many, many years. And it's interesting because there's one aspect of the time travel plot line that we all see in these movies. So think about what happens in the story. Person or people, they go back in time, and they get told something. like, hey, be careful. You can't touch anything. Or be careful. You know, make sure that it kind of plays out the way it did and without, you know, too many minor alterations. And why do they say that? Because when you travel back to the present, a little confusing sometimes, when you travel back to the present, all of a sudden, things are different. For good, for bad, like reference back to the future again, that was one of the major plot threads of that movie. I mean, Michael J. Fox doing Johnny B. Bad, that's not the way it played out in real life, but that's the way it played out in the movie. Now, but here's an interesting thing, and I, and I heard this comment recently. I had to say, it really struck me. It really struck me. It said, you know, we can accept in the plot of a science fiction film or a science fiction book or a story, we can accept if you go back to the past and mess things up, you go back to the present and things will be messed up. But why don't we apply that same logic to what we're doing today, thinking that it's going to affect the future? Well, for that to be the case, you have to agree that tomorrow matters. Tomorrow matters. Yes, what you do today is going to affect tomorrow. What you do today also, therefore, is not just about you. If you're a parent, what you do today affects your children's future. And not just your children, but your children's children, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. That's a lot of responsibility and a lot of influence. In fact, there's a proverb that speaks about this. It's, pro- it's in the book of Proverbs 13.22. says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. A good person leaves things behind for their children and their children's children. That's grandparents. That's grand- grandchild generation. Notice what it's saying. It's saying not a lucky person. Not a fortunate person, a good person, or in some translations, a righteous person that's in right standing with God, leaves behind an inheritance. And truth be told, all of us have been left behind something. Now, whether it's good, whether it's not good, that's the life that we've been given in a lot of ways. But what can be done is today we can make decisions. That'll help that out for the future generations and leave behind something that will benefit them and be to their good. That's what a wise person, a good person, according to the word of God, is like. To continue on with that, even if you have a little or a lot, Psalm 37, starting at verse 16, better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord will uphold the righteous. The blameless will spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure, watch this one, forever, forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. Skip to verse 21. The wicked borrow, but they don't repay. But the righteous give generously. 
Those who the Lord blesses will inherit the land, and these curses will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of, those, of the one who delights in him. And though he may stumble, meaning us, he will not fall, for the Lord will uphold him with his hand. I was young, now I'm old, yet I have never, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. They are always generous and lend freely, and their children will be a blessing. Now, that sounds great, but it's a decision. And a decision has to be, we're living today, but tomorrow matters. Like we say, you can't take it with you, but you can leave it behind. Well, who's going to get that? And what is going to be left behind? So let's get into the discussion now. I'm going to introduce, or I'm going to call up our panel. They're going to introduce themselves. We have some questions that we're going to ask them, some discussions that we're going to have. Like I said, you might want to take something, something out to write with if you like to take notes that way or put some notifications on your phone or something like that. But let's just have our panel come out. Panel, if you could just come and join me on stage here. Let's give it up for them as they come out here right now. We have Ashley. We have Emmanuel. We have Anthony. And we have King Kurt. Come on out. All right. Welcome, 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 panel. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us here. We have the live studio audience for CF Stories. We're going to go through our discussion. We've been talking back and forth about some topics that we think are the most important. But before we get into the exact topics, let's just introduce ourselves, the expertise you're bringing to this discussion, and your connection, of course, here to Christ Fellowship. So ladies first. I'm Ashley Torado. And what I'm bringing is 15 years of retail banking experience. And your connection to Christ Fellowship? And my connection to Christ Fellowship is, in what sense? Like, uh, what do you do here? Okay, well, I, <laughs> I come here. <laughs> I, okay, I, I, uh, I'm part of the dance ministry, and um, my husband and I have been involved in Connection Productions. He, he is um, the one that runs Connection Productions. Um, and so on and so forth. There you go. Sir? Emmanuel Bloomfield Jones. Uh, been at Christ Fellowship for the past two years, a little over uh, two years. Um, I'm bringing just some knowledge about finances and investing and uh, real estate and different things of that nature. There we go. Um, so been with Christ Fellowship about like two and a half years. Um, my expertise, I'm an accountant. Uh, I did eight years of high net worth individuals, so just kind of like basically their taxes, a lot of their uh, state planning, and, and more so of a lot of state planning, I'll give you that. So, I'm Kirk Nelson. Um, I've been here for a long time. My wife is Pastor Diana, who you see regularly, and um, we run a, a budgeting debt class. Here, usually in the spring, I do it, Anthony does it with me, and it's going to cover a lot of stuff we're going to talk about here today. So, There you go. So let's say welcome to the panel. They're going to share their expertise. As you heard from the introductions, they, they know some things. They know some, some. So let's first talk about, the first subject we're going to talk about is saving. Let's talk about saving real quick. So I'm going to ask a general question, and it might seem uh, silly at first, but if you really think about it, it is something that needs to be discussed. And the first question is, what is the purpose of saving money? Uh, so purpose of saving money. So in essence, savings is always tied to a goal. So some goals can be is a continuous goal, like emergency fund. So that's one goal that you can have You're consistently saving to just in case something happened. Another part of saving is tied to big goals in your life. It could be buying a house, education for your kids, um, or even parts of retirement. But the whole core of saving is a per like being purposeful with your money and putting it away for the future or for a specific goal that you want to accomplish. So, so saving money it has to be almost like goal-minded, not like hoarding. Yes, yes. The, it, the goal for saving is to use the money for something or to protect you from something. 
So keeping money has no value. The goal, money is a tool. So if you don't use the tool and you don't have a plan of how to use that tool, then the money has no purpose. Mm. Okay. <laughs> All right, time to go home. We're done. That's it. Ashley, as a banker, how, many, how much uh, money do you think people should comfortably save? I think a lot of it has to do what is um, something that you can do. What's realistic? Um, you know, something I'm sure we're going to touch on is, is budgeting. You have to look at your paycheck and make sure that you're being realistic, um, that you're not, that you're not going to set a goal and obviously you get discouraged if you can't meet it. So I think it's um, sometimes you can do percentages uh, or you can do just a small increments. You can build on that. Um, it's just sitting down and really looking at what you have and how you can divide that up. And really, um, you know, like, like Anthony was saying, having a goal is super important um, because personally I think that actually focuses your mind um, on, on, on a task, on something to do, and you know you're going to get somewhere. And it feels very accomplishing when you finally see that number building and then you get to a good place. Um, you know. Now, I've heard different amounts of uh, time in terms of saving money, months ahead, emergency fund, like Anthony mentioned before. What would be your best advice to aim for like a certain amount that you would have stored away, maybe it's emergency fund money or something like that. I mean, I've, I've heard you know, four months of salary or something like that. Would you advise that any of you or is there something that maybe is a little more nuanced to everyone's situation? I go. Um, so I, I think it's to each its own, right? I think some individuals are going to be able to save a percentage, um, an amount, um, a, a portion of their salary I think the really most important thing is just starting, right? Um, even if it's something as small as like, let's say $20, $25. I remember when I first started saving, um, I had got a Chase account and they said, hey, we're gonna give you a savings account as, and it will be free as long as you have an automatic payment from your checking to your savings each month of $25. And that's how I really started saving. So I would just say kind of do what's best for you um, and just, just start somewhere. And then over time, that habit um, will just, you know, start to develop, and then you'll be able to start saving more aggressively uh, for some bigger things like larger purchases. It's interesting because I, I know for some people, and, and I've been there too, where you just feel like your money's just in and out, in and out. Anyone? Somebody out here got a, has that experience. You just feel in and out, you know, especially if you have children, you own a home or whatever. It's just you don't even see it. You don't even feel it. It's just how can I? And, and, and the question becomes how can I possibly save money if it just feels like it's in and out? And then... Numerically, there's, there's people who don't have savings at all, um, a portion of the population. So that starting small, I think, is important. I think that idea of starting small, just a little step, you know, like the, like the old saying is, you know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. I think that is crucial um, when it comes to saving. Next uh, big question is, um, and this will, will segue into budgeting, is what are the habits that need to be created to save money Aside from you know, what you just said, and we can kind of piggyback off that, and then we'll go more into specific budgeting plans. So what are, what's just the mental habit that has to happen? So start small, we have that. Is there anything else? Can I, I'm sorry, let me just jump back to the previous question. Sure. If you, because I'm gonna do my shameless plug again. We do jobs for life in the, in the fall, and we do budgeting in the spring. You know, income is important. If you don't have, what's the song? If nothing from nothing leaves nothing. If you don't have anything, you can't save anything. And what that, now, if you're employed, then that's different. You can make adjustments in your life, separating your wants and your needs. And I guess that kind of goes into the next question. Mm -hmm. If you have wants and you have needs, you have to take care of the needs you may not get the want, or you may not get the want that you want, but you have to get to a point where you have something because no matter what income you have, no matter what your salary is, you have to make choices and sacrifices to get to a place where you have something. You're in the black and not the red. Um, so that's one of the first habits, I guess, or disciplines going mm -hmm. into the budgeting process mm -hmm. is deciphering between a want and a need. 
you know, that's, that's really critical. Absolutely, definitely a want and a need. And, and it's funny because, um, you know, for, for many people, uh, transportation is a need. But the desired transportation, like the vehicle itself, could be a want, if that makes sense. You know, where it's, you know, an A to B car doesn't have to be, you know, a Tesla, for example. I mean, that's cool and all that, but it doesn't have to be that type of thing. So let's, let's just talk about budgeting then. So you, you two lead the budgeting class. So what is uh, the preferred template or the preferred uh, structure of budgeting? Now, obviously, here in Christ Fellowship, we teach tithing, which is 10%. So we teach that. So using that number, 90% is left. And obviously, there has to be bills and wants and needs and things like that. So what are we doing with the 90 so, so you guys do the budgeting class, <laughs> and uh, let's just give us uh, some knowledge on that one. So for budgeting, the, the, I'll tell you the structure that I do. I use zero-based budgeting. So what that is is I assign. So I think about it like this. I'm the boss, and every dollar is an employee. So in the beauty say, of, I'm sorry, say that again. I'm the boss, and every dollar I have is an employee. One more time. <laughs> I'm the boss. And every dollar I have is an employee. I just think some, someone, someone out here needs to hear that. <laughs> Somebody needs to hear that. I'm the so, boss. Every dollar is an employee. Someone so, has to hear that just so, now. And the beauty about, like, money is it, it'll do exactly what, it tell, what, what you tell it to do. So, mm. so literally, and it, it doesn't ask for a break. It just keeps working. The way you want it to work, that's exactly how it works. So zero-based budgeting is when whatever money comes in, you're going to assign every single dollar down all the way to zero. And what's important is, like, say, for example, if you get paid on the 15th, you are saying, okay, if I get paid $2,000, you're going to assign every single dollar down to zero. And that could be savings, tithing. It could be for paying for Christmas cards, putting away for um, Christmas gifts. But what your goal is, is you're going to give every dollar some assi assignment. And the beauty of it is you're going to see exactly, you have a plan for when the money comes, you just execute. And then a, another key thing that I do is because I know my habits. So the only reason I can say this is because I've failed forward many times. Um, so when the money comes, I do everything on the same day. So if the bill's on the 24th, I pay it right on the 15th, and everything's done on the specific day. I don't give myself room for the money to go anywhere else. I saw the, so if the plan was done three days beforehand, on the 15th I get paid, the plan get executed, and then for the next 15 days I just go live my life. So I don't have the peace. Now, like I said, it's easier said than done, but the goal is, is to build that practice. Because like I said, it, you should be flexible with your budget too. So it's not like, don't be so stringent, because at the same time, like life, you must be fluid and flexible. So same thing with your budget. But the whole goal is to be mindful where every dollar is going. Now, would you like to add on Emmanuel or uh, Ashley? There's a lot of head nodding, so I, I <laughs> there's a head nod amen. Yeah, so I add on. Uh, so something that has worked for me is just having separate accounts. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm big with separate accounts. Like I have a, a savings account. I have an account for just my investment property. I have another one that's um, a checking account. So like, let's say like blow money or money for like things you might spend on a regular basis, so like gas, easy pass, um, tides, different things of that nature. And then I have an account that's not even in Jersey, so I don't get kind of like that urge to take any money out, um, where I kind of have my direct deposits go there, and then I have all of my um, bills paid out of that account that's on automation. Um, so my money's going straight there, and then what needs to be allocated and what needs to go out is coming straight from that account, and I never touch it because I can't touch it even if I want to because, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's just that inconvenience that I put in front of me. So I would say just that, you know, automation and just having separate accounts kind of works for me. Now, Ashley, we spoke um, earlier this week just in prep for this discussion, and you were telling us how, at, as a banker, you've seen some bad budgeting um, what have you seen, and, and what do you think uh, is the proper mindset that would correct some bad budgeting? So I see a lot of the times uh, what happens is that people um, are not allocating money, and they have one account. And so it still goes along with what Emmanuel was saying. It is good to have uh, separate accounts. I mean, that's how I like to operate myself as well. Because what happens is that people, especially if you're not budgeting, you're just sending money out. You're sending money out. Weekend comes around. Thanks. We work on business days. 
um, you spend, spend, spend on the weekend not realizing that the numbers that you see sometimes don't properly reflect what you have in your account. Monday comes around, all that comes out, you're in the negative, and now you're paying a charge for each and every one of those transactions. I know that happens. I see it a lot. Um, that's why I always recommend, like, if you can, have separate accounts. It's always good to have that account where you get your, your, your direct deposit or where you put your check in, and then you allocate it where you need to go. You budget, send out what you need for savings, send out what you need for tithing. And the good thing is if you have a second checking account, I like, this is my opinion, I like to use that second checking account, kind of like what Manuel is saying, is to send out my money. So that I know that that account is not to play with. That account is where I have budgeted, where all my bills are gonna come out of that account so that I'm not playing the waiting game. So that in case I use my money, it's not, I, oh, I, I already used that money that was supposed to go out for that bill because I forgot about it, which is normal. Uh, but it's why I think it's really important that you would you know, have a second account so that you are mindful of that, that that money is not yours. And that at the end of the day, you have one check account where you can use it at your leisure. Um, and also something that I always recommend for customers that I feel like you, you know, if you don't do online banking, I understand. There are a lot of folks that don't trust it. Um, they don't like it. They feel like it, it's too confusing. But I promise you, if you have a good, you know, if you go to a branch that you, you your, your banker is more than willing to sit with you and, and walk you through it. I know I am. And to show you how to use your online banking, because that is such a wonderful tool that we have now. Why? One, you can set up alerts. Um, that is something that has saved me plenty of times, because I'm not perfect. Where I've set up a bill and I totally forgot it and it took too long to come out, because sometimes bill pay does that. What happens is you paid other bills and some, it, you just make a mistake. And because I had an alert, it notified me as soon as I went negative. And that way, because I have a backup savings or a backup checking, I was able to transfer my money over into the checking and completely avoid a fee. Because $35 or $30, depending whatever your bank is, that's a lot of money. I mean, for me, that, that's, a, that's a big deal. So I think for you, it, it probably is as well. So I think that setting up alerts really saves you because you have to the end of the business day to cover your negative balance and avoid a fee. Most banks work that way. And then on top of it, you can also have um, auto-draft. You can talk to your banker about setting up an, a linked account. Again, a wonderful idea is to have that savings as an emergency. And in case you do overdraft, they can pull from your savings into your checking. And most of the time, there is a fee, but it's not $30. It's not $35. There's also, um, again, alerts, uh, drafting, and for some people, they like to do a, a line of credit, an overdraft line of credit. Now, now we're getting into credit. That's a little bit different, but that is something. If you find yourself constantly getting negative, most of the time, these kind of lines of credit, the interest is a lot lower, again, than 35, 35, 35, 35. Kirk, what would you say to someone uh, who struggles with budgeting because they don't want to feel Maybe they feel like either they don't have the discipline or um, they don't want to be restricted. I've heard people say that before in terms of different styles of budgeting. What would you say to that person? I mean, generally, none of us are that disciplined. That's why we do things like set up accounts where you can't touch it um, or you use a system that works for you. You know, you can use an envelope system. You can, whatever your system is. But the, the purpose of, of any of this is to avoid trouble. And you will eventually, you run into trouble if you don't follow it. Uh, but the biggest thing, I guess the spiritual component of it is uh, you're God's steward over whatever he gives you. And none of what you have really is yours anyway. He owns it all. He provides it all. The job that you have, God gives to you. The income that you get, he provides for you. The moment you, you, know, you think you do it on your own is foolish. You don't have it. And I've been on both sides. I've been there with no income. I've been there with plenty of income. God provides it all. And that's the key. And when you think of that, as you spend money, as you make financial choices, then you realize every dollar I spend makes an impact on the kingdom of God. 
It's true, and, and it's interesting you say that because stewardship is important, and I know that sounds like a big you know, church word, but in truth, it is a responsibility that everyone has regardless of the number. Regardless. regardless of the number that someone has, stewardship is important, and God has provided. And also, let's not fool ourselves, everyone. God is testing and judging us on how we leverage what we've been given of what he's provided with. I know I said this before in a teaching, but God's provision is not to do as we will, but as he wills. And that mindset is important because the idea of ownership, I mean, that's a huge concept, but at the same time, it's an ownership that's given with a responsibility you know, from the Lord to us. And there's, uh, you know, God's watching, you know, so we can say it like that. Go ahead, Anthony. And just to add to Kirk saying is, like, before I came to Christ Fellowship, the way I used to budget was have my money come in. I was saying in Spanish service, same thing. Um, have my money come in. I look at all my bills first, and then whatever's remaining, that's what I will put away for savings or anything. And then as I've been part of Christ Fellowship, what I realized was I started to receive more when I put it in this, this order. I, my money came in. God got his 10%. Then I paid myself. Then all the other bills get paid last. And that structure for me decided, I realized more came into my life when I always put in that structure. So, like, if you're going to do budgeting, at a minimum, the first two things, number one, God gets paid. And the thing is, I know 10% is, is the goal for a lot of people. And that's the goal, try to get there. But put something. You have to write a number down, especially if you're going to put it. It could be $25, $50. But the goal is... As that number grows, you're going to see all your other numbers grow. Mm, mm, so, and that, that, and that. that to me was, then I started seeing myself save more. And then I started realizing my bills started to reduce. So that structure for budgeting helps you, will, will tremendously change your life. So speaking of budgeting, and we talked about saving money before, and we kind of mentioned making big purchases. All right, so think about you know, a car, uh, obviously where you're going to live, uh, parents, you want to think about whatever your after high school plans are, make sure you pray about that one. Um, what do you need to be thinking, to be, to be praying about when it comes to making a big purchase? And you can kind of categorize that as you will, but any big purchase that you know that this is a significant amount of money that is needed for this, but what should be the mindset using wisdom to make that big purchase? And if you have a personal story about big purchases, feel free to share it. Uh, just real quick, like you just said, anything that you purchase that's big, you really need to determine whether it is a true want or a true need. Um, because we can trick ourselves or talk ourselves mm. into saying it's a need. But in reality, it may still be just a want. Going back to your example, I need transportation. I can buy whatever. Or I can take a bus pass, or I can get public transportation. Whatever it is, you need to put all that, that, those decisions in the lens of what God wants you to do with that money. Mm. So it's not just making a big purchase, it's what are the implications of the big purchase. And something we had talked about earlier is, you know, counting the cost that goes along with it, the associated mm. cost. So let's say I buy a Lexus. I Ooh. want my transportation. Oh, you know, it's, it's all right. You're coming up in the world, Kevin. I'm getting there. I'm yeah. trying to be like, you know. So you get, you get your Lexus, but you have to put premium gas in. Mm. Mm. So it's not $3. It's $3.55 or $3.95. Mm. Now you need insurance. So on a Lexus, your insurance may be $500 a month as opposed to $200 a month. Mm. If the car breaks down, if you need brakes, if you need this, if you need that, now there's a, there's a different cost for driving a Lexus than driving a Volkswagen. Well, maybe not Volkswagen, maybe a Chevy, because uh, they kind of up there too. But there's a different price. So sometimes just because you can afford something doesn't mean you can afford it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you have to keep in mind is there's a cost and there's an associated cost. Mm. With every big purchase, you were talking about earlier, purchasing a home. You have to pay for that. You have to keep your, you have to maintain your property. You have to paint. You have to cut grass. You have to do this. You have to repairs in the house. You know how, we know, you know. 
There's costs that go with owning it. And sometimes you can't afford to afford something. Mm. So those are all mm. things in the purchasing process. Uh, there's a spiritual component, and then there's a, a real earth component that mm. says, can I afford something? So those are all things that you have to take in mind when you're making a big purchase. It's, it's true, and it's, it's the cost, and the cost, as you said before, I mean, we've had, you know, tremendous hot days uh, recently, and I was out there mowing that lawn and painting that deck, and man, let me tell you, I had to take a break every, like, five minutes. One day, it was, like, 100 degrees, but when I look at the cost it took me to purchase materials versus if I hire someone to do it, for me, yeah, I got to yeah. get it. Mm-hmm. Gotta get that get that in personally, but uh, that you know that's just me. But going to what you said, you can YouTube everything now. Was that what you, you said? Can YouTube everything now. Uh, I, 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 you know I did. You know I did. That's right. Got you know proper techniques of things. You know smarter, not harder. You know what I mean? Um, and when it comes to purchases too, one of the big components that comes with purchases or making big purchases is credit. All right, let's talk about credit. Okay, now here here, here it comes. All right, some people just got real shook right now, real nervous about credit. Some people, oh, credit. And some of you are thinking, uh, let me, all right, now I'm going to start writing stuff down. Um, so who has, uh, I forget who it was when we were talking, had a credit story of a credit recovery story, let's say. I think it was you, oh, yeah, Anthony. Yeah. yeah, so if you share that story, uh, go for it. So like, like any other college student, I got sold on credit cards with just like a nice bag and just free good stuff. So, and they gave me a $500 credit limit just like that. So... And, and to my eyes, if you're a college student, $500 credit limit, you think you could go buy the world. Like, it's like, okay, I go spend it on this, that, so. But one thing you learn um, over time, they only sell you on just making the minimum payment. Making the minimum payment because the whole goal is they make money off the interest. So over time, you start to uh, make minimum payments, but you realize that, like, um, actually, I gain more credit cards because they, they'll, as you'll see in the mail, they'll push a lot of credit cards to you. And so I would sign up for another credit card thinking I can just, you know what, make the minimum payment for this, make the minimum payment for that. All I know, I'm in credit card debt. And then I realized, then I realized, you know what, I can miss a payment here. It won't struggle me there. So, and then that deteriorates your credit. To be honest, the biggest thing with credit cards is you have to make a payment. That's, that is the key thing. Missing payments will, like, really destroy your credit. And um, so, and another thing too, I was maxing out the cards. So I realized I get to a point that um, I need to, okay, need to pay off these credit cards. I was like, I looked down, I actually sat down, look at all my credit cards, write it down. I have to pay these all off. So that's how I do my own research and understanding the purpose of credit. And the, the one thing I learned is that there's like few key things when you want to like get out of credit card debt. Number one is, like you said, you have to set up a goal to pay way more than the minimum. So, and, it's, and the goal is, you can pay the minimum, if you have like five credit cards, your goal is to pay most, pay the minimum on four, and then whatever remaining you have, load up on one. And then as you pay that one off, you're gonna have the minimum plus whatever you load and then roll it to the next one. And the whole goal is you're trying to create a history of paying more than one payment on one credit card, and then over time, you have a history paying your credit cards down with um, rolling over payments because they look at your utilization. So um, to, 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 for some reason, the key thing in your total credit history, if you say you have a $10,000 limit, your credit will skyrocket if you know how to manage it just to go to about 20, like, like basically 20%, so $2,000. If you're consistently like using within a $2,000 frame on a $10,000 limit, your credit card skyrockets. And then if you basically pay that, two, you, you, you do, two, do two things, pay the full $2,000 off, or what makes it really jump, pay $1,000 in one month and then pay the next $1,000. Even though you, small, you have a small interest accrued, they like to see just they're making something a little bit. But I don't recommend it, like really truly do pay it, but if you really want to see your credit jump, that's what, when my credit started to skyrocket. And then from there, um, more credit opportunities came towards me. But then once I realized was credit was just a tool, like it's really just a tool to use for your large purchases. After you receive your large purchases, there's really no really need to be using your credit cards unless like you're wise with it. Like if you're using it for um, 
I use it for vacation. So all my bills that I can't pay on a credit card that I know I'm going to pay on the end of the month, I just basically put on the credit card because they give me vacation points. So then at the end of the year, I basically have a free vacation for the bills that I know I have to pay. So that's like wise ways to use your credit cards. I mean, truth be told, there's a lot of people who struggle with credit. A lot of people have been, been hurt by credit, um, hurt themselves by credit. Um, you know, I know there's people out here, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm sure there's someone here who's saying, oh, man, that was me too. Or, That's me right now. Um, but the thing is, as you said before, um, credit doesn't have to be a scary thing. It doesn't have to be, especially with big purchases. Now, Emmanuel, when we spoke um, earlier this week, you, you mentioned about how, you know, using credit for big purchases to incur more wealth when it comes to owning property. Could you comment on that and just the strategies of that? Yeah, definitely. And before that, I just wanted to touch on Anthony. So I actually had the same exact story um, where in college I got one in a bag um, and I got a $500 limit. And so you got a bag, but not the bag. Exactly. And the bag only lasted like a week. <laughs> <laughs> and so well, same It was thing a nice now. bag. Yes. Can you tell them how they do it at college? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so, and I actually, yeah. Understand. Yeah. yeah. So, I actually worked um, out of college for the past six years. Um, but when I first went to college, you know, um, they usually have people who are just waiting there, you know, encouraging you to get a credit card. They're not educating you on it, but they're giving you incentives. And as like a 17, 18, 19 year old, you know, child still at that time, um, at that point, you want that incentive, right? Which is at that time with a bag as well, with an NFL bag. Never forget it. Loved the bag. Lasted a week, but I wound up getting a five hundred dollar uh, credit card. Blue one on Jordans for me and my sister, sisters, and then realized that five hundred dollars ballooned to a twenty five hundred dollar debt. Um, so it's it's really critical to you know just educate yourself, educate your children, so that when they are encountered with individuals, you know any type of incentives, they know to be mindful of it and to kind of shy away from it or uh, to get it and to do things that are um, going to be beneficial. So some of the tricks um, I have uh, used for just building up credit, and it's something as simple as uh, it could be $10, $20 a month. So I have uh, credit cards that pay off like Netflix, which is like $15, um, like Disney Plus, uh, like Six Flags Greater Ventures membership, which is like $11. So we'll pay that on a monthly basis. So you're constantly using a credit card, but then you set up your bank account to make that full payment each and every month. So something as little as 10 bucks um, can actually help your credit score jump because it's showing that you're disciplined, it's showing that you're making regular payments, and it's showing that you're paying your credit card off in full. So that's just like a little quick strategy I wanted to use and to kind of go back to what you were saying, Elliot, in regards to home ownership. Uh, credit's everything when it comes to purchasing a home, right? Because that's going to make or break um, or just determine if you're able to get a house. So on average, you need about a 620 credit score or above. And 620 is really pushing it. You're going to get a horrible interest rate. So just to give you an example, someone with a 620 credit score and then let's say it's another person with an 800 credit score, that person with the 800 credit score is probably gonna get an interest rate of like 2.5% or like 3% where the other person gonna get like 4%. So I know you're probably like percentages, what's the difference, right? It's hard to kind of grasp um, at first, but that could be the difference of tens of thousands of dollars over the course of a loan. Um, so just be mindful of that. Try to do everything possible to educate yourself um, to tap into different resources, to, um, you know, find mentors or just ask questions, right? Ask, you know, any individual up here, you know, at the service or just throughout the weeks, you know, hey, for different strategies so that you could get your credit score to where it needs to be at so that you could save just tens of thousands of uh, dollars over the course of, you know, a loan. For sure. And, and now with that, using credit to make purchases, now, in your case, you're, you're leveraging owner, home ownership for wealth. So if we could transition into things like investing or investment properties, because this is something that, honestly, um, just looking at, I just pulled some data from, uh, from Gallup poll, and it said, percentage of America that owns stock, and this is how they define it. It says, do you personally or jointly with a spouse have any money invested in the stock market right now, either in an individual stock, a stock mutual fund, or in a self-directed 401k, or IRA, and 
out of this poll, based on annual averages, about 56% of Americans answered yes to that question. So it's really, it's like a, almost like a half and half here. Now this is specifically about owning stock, but obviously there's other ways that can be invest, uh, that investments can be. So for example, owning multiple properties. So if someone wants to get started in that, they're looking to the future, what is your advice to them and how can they begin with that? All right, so um, in regards to investing in properties, first you definitely want to find what works for you, right? So there's a lot of different investments. Um, there's stocks, there's um, uh, businesses, right? There's different things of that nature, right? I tried stocks, just couldn't grasp it, wasn't for me. What was for me was properties, right? It's something that I, I get, I understand, I know how to do the numbers. Um, you know, it's something that's tangible where I could go and physically see the property. Um, but in regards to that, we're just really finding a, a market um, that you can afford, right? And I think oftentimes when it comes to investing in property, especially in this market, people hear about these crazy numbers, like houses are going, you know, 50,000 above accent price. Uh, houses are like 300,000, 400,000. That's not always the case. Um, when I bought my first investment property, and I'm gonna use real numbers because I think it's more impactful. Um, you know, I asked questions and I spoke with a gentleman who I knew who had an investment property in Pennsylvania in Allentown. Um, and he kind of, you know, broke certain things down to me, and that's what I was able to do. That was a market I was able to afford. I found my first house um, investment property, which was only for $45,000. Um, I know people who drive cars that cost more than $45,000. Um, just to kind of break it down into even smaller numbers, my mortgage there is only $448, right? So, yes, so, right, and you probably thinking about, hey, I have bills in my house that is more than 400 something dollars. So I was able to actually get a house and pay that amount on a monthly basis, right? And then rent it out for $1,300. So now you think about that gap between the mortgage and the gap between when I'm renting it out. It's basically just a surplus that goes into like my pocket. And that allows you to just build wealth. It allows you to leave a legacy. It allows you to start saving, right? It allows you to have passive income. And that's what it's about, is having your money work for you. So even if you might not be able to find a home here in Jersey or a home in New York City, right, um, because those markets are higher, find a place that you can afford and don't be afraid to kind of branch out. I got a snap on that one. <laughs> so just to add to what Maine was saying, like basically, covered a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm on like the other spectrum. I like to invest in stocks. So like that's kind of like my passion. So and the reason why is um, like I was telling um, earlier, investing in stocks is kind of putting your money into assets or companies that are tied to the fabric of America or the, fa or, or, or the fabric of the economy. So the way I see it is um, I would like my money to work in places in which everyone else, like their money to be tied for the economy. So meaning like if the economy goes down, regardless whether, um, like as we all experienced with, with, um, with Corona, like literally it, 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 it took a big hit on the economy. So, and a lot of people lost jobs, a lot of people, as you can see, um, a lot of people suffered at that time. But another portion of that other end, a lot of people don't talk about that, there was a lot of wealth built during that time. And the reason being was people decided that the assets of what tied to the, tied to the economy, they decided to double down. And they basically, and as you'll see that they um, put their money into different companies, it's like they got companies on this. I'll give you a perfect example, like Apple. Everybody knows Apple, we all got phones for it. Um, and Apple, is probably one of the biggest companies in America. And if anything ever happens to Apple, basically something's happened to America. Just put it, just put it that way. So when, when the coronavirus occurred, Apple dropped down to like almost 50%. So a lot of people basically that had a little bit of wealth or a little bit of money, like I said, that to have a tool, they decided to just buy it at a 50% discount. Now, if you were to look at it till today, Apple is over up 150%. So the reason why investing is so important is like you said, money is the tool and investing allows you to put into assets that build value over time. So, and the, and the beauty about it now too is it's so, investing is so accessible to everyone. 
that literally, if you can open up an Instagram account, you can open up an investment account. Like that's how simple it is. They let you invest on your mobile apps. There's so many access to, to just investing. And, and the reason why investing is very, I don't say important, I'll say it's important, but the key thing about investing is that you need time and consistency. So um, it's not that you have to put a lot away. That's, that's the biggest misconception about investing. You don't need a lot in order to start. You can literally open an account with $50, but the, question, but the goal is $50 tied into the right companies over time, consistency, will build. And then eventually you'll see that the, the ninth one of the world, compound interest, will build over time and your money will work harder than you can put into it. Mm. And that's the whole goal is that eventually that what, you're just feeding it, but the amount that is compounding is making more than what you're putting into it. And, and that is where you see just wealth built over time. And, and the reason why I say time is so important is because, um, like I said, like I have, I have a newborn now. So, so I'm going to use all of his time on his earth to save for him for the time that he gets to a specific age that he gets a head start. So I don't need to wait till 18 to start saving. By the time he's 18, he'll have someone of an inheritance. And then I, like, I already have like a, a goal in my head that by the time he's 18, I want to make a deal with him that if he doesn't touch it till he's 30, I'll match whatever he puts in. And the, and, but the reason why I say that is because I know what 30 years, if you, and you can go online and there's so many calculators, mm-hmm. I know what 30 years of not touching money over a consistent basis, getting a very small percentage return, like 8%, something small, that gets you to a million dollars. So by the time he's 30, if he had a small inheritance, he has choices. And that's the whole point about money, is to have choices, and he can decide whether he wants to work, start a business, but he has something that he can build. So that's a goal of mine. And, and the only reason why I see that is because he has the time, and I'm, and I'm gonna use his time useful. See, I think, that, I think everything you said is crucial because, again, the title of today is Tomorrow Matters. Can I, can I just add one more we'll thing for before yeah, you? Yeah. The other thing is this. You know, one of the things that helped me, I was, like I said, I was down, I was out of a, a job for about four years. One of the things that helped me was when I was working, take advantage to every employer benefit that they give you. So if they match your salary with an investment instrument, Mm -hmm. take advantage of it and max it out. If they say we'll match it with X amount of dollars, then you put in that X amount of dollars and make sure that you match it because you never know what's going to go down the line. Mm -hmm. And so many people don't take advantage. They put a little bit in. Max it out. Make the sacrifice and figure out how to max that out because it's, it's free money. They're giving you money. They're matching your money. Make sure you do that. And, and just to add to Kirk, there's actually an order in that process. So the first way you'll do is um, you will invest up to the match of what the company gives you. And the reason why I say uh, up to what the company, say if the company gives you 6%, match up to 6%. Then if you can, just open up a Roth IRA. And what a Roth IRA, not to go like in too much detail, is any money that you put into it, if it grows over time, it grows tax-free. So, so then you max out your Roth IRA. And then if you have more left, then you go back to your company and then you max out whatever the, um, the match is for the, for the year. So most companies, um, I mean, most, uh, they let you, I think it raised like 19,000. So you can put away 19,000 of your own money, deferred, tax deferred. And, and the reason why you do it in that order um, is because you're maximizing your tax implications by the time you, you, you retire. So if you can, so say if you have like $10,000 to save, you make, sure, you make sure you cover up to the match. And then if the match is on uh, $4,000, you take the other six, you put it into a Roth IRA. Because that 6,000, if that 6,000 grows to 100,000, that full 100 is tax-free when you take it out at retirement. And we're talking about, like I said before, tomorrow matters. And for those of us especially who are parents, your tomorrow is not a what, it's a who. If you think about it like that, 
And that's going to really open your eyes to a lot of things, too, because you have, especially having a young child, and all of us, all of us here on this stage right now are parents, so this is experiential for us. But really, you know, what are, our, what are we passing down to our children? What are they inheriting? And if we take the Word of God seriously, as we, as we saw in that proverb, a good man, someone righteous before God is leaving that inheritance to their children. Like I said earlier, you, you can't take it with you. But you can't pass it down to the point where this, this is a, a, a long game. This is a long game. It's not just living for today and just, you know, doing whatever you want to do. And in fact, I just pulled some other data, too. Um, by of the 2019 uh, Federal Reserve data, uh, talking about retirement before uh, ages 18 to 29, only about um, a third of people have a retirement socked away in some way, shape, or form. Um, so if you're young... Um, it seems far away, but really, it's a long game, and it takes long-term planning to do it. Um, I've been told numerous times by financial advisors, like, you know, don't start when you're 50, because I've seen plenty of people who have done that, and now they're, you know, trying to get on the back end of their career into retirement, and they look at the numbers, and they say, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Like, what? there's nothing here. And, you know, I've heard that as well. Um, as we conclude, if you could just say, and, and everything we've talked about, if there's just one gem that you could just say to someone who just wants to know more about how they can have tomorrow matters and how they can, you know, set up for the future, whether they have children or not, you just say just one concise, clear statement to them, what would it be? And we'll just, whoever wants to start. Go, go ahead, start. Uh, basically, the microphone. basically, your decisions you make today will affect tomorrow. So, you have to be purposeful today and be thoughtful today because that would lead in tomorrow. So, so take your time. And, uh, and the one thing I've learned, um, even though like, I'm still young, is that if you don't take the time, life will make that decision for you. So that's, that's the best thing. It's, it's, it's not hard. It's just being purposeful. Ashley, what would you say? What's the, the, the last gem? It's prioritize. Um, at the end of the day, uh, like we we're saying, it's all about really your tomorrow, and we don't know about that tomorrow. So what you can do is work on what you have today. And you know, most we're we're working class. We get our paychecks. Be smart. Be realistic. Um, yes, we want to have fun. Yes, we sometimes I can speak for myself. I want to dress nice. I want to look nice. But am I gonna let that be? I'm gonna, am I going to sacrifice my future, the desire to, you know, have a home or the desire to my kids have choices just because I want to look nice today? So it's all about prioritizing. Emmanuel? I would say uh, learn from other people's mistakes, um, right? So just tap into people within your network, ask questions, do your research, do your homework, um, and really just truly learn from um, other people's, you know, failing forwards. Kurt? Uh, just be a good steward. You know, God gave you resources. Use them so that when you meet him, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You don't want to get to stand in front of God and say, you wasted your talents, you wasted your treasures, you know, get away from me because you have it. It's in your hands. They're tools. Take the emotion out of it and use it for the tool that it's worth. Amen. And, and, and it's funny you mentioned that because I was just thinking about that passage too. Uh, good and faithful servant, you, I could trust you with a little. Now I will entrust you with much more. Come share in the master's happiness, meaning God. Kirk, if you could just pray for all of us as we just conclude our time here. And if we all just, just pray, I know that everyone's in different financial uh, levels and areas, but we are, are here for you. Everyone on this panel right now is available to share their wisdom in more details. If you want more of the X's and O's of, of everything, you know, feel free to ask. We're here. And Kirk, if you could just pray for everyone as we conclude our time today. Thank you, Lord, because you are the author and finisher of all our faiths, Lord God. You know each one of our stories individually and personally, Lord God. You know the beginning. You know the end, Lord God. You know where we've been, you know where we're going. You know the struggles, Lord God. You know where we need help and discipline. You know where we need help 
in putting priorities in order, Lord God. I pray right now as we open our hearts and mind to you, Holy Spirit, meet us where we are right now. Meet us where we are right now. Guide us, direct us. Allow our minds and hearts to be aligned to the things that are important to you. We thank you, my God, because you are in charge of all things. And we thank you, my God, that there's nothing that happens in our lives that you don't know about. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So we turn these things over to you. And we thank you for this time, and we thank you to honor you with our stewardship in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, everyone. Let's give it up for our panel. Let's thank God for them. Sign up for the CF Stories podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to it. And remember, tomorrow matters. God bless you all. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.